So I'm going to read nine verses. I'm going to go verse by verse. It's in Colossians. If you remember, I said Colossians is probably my secret favorite book. Because it talks about Jesus Christ being preeminent. He's everything. He's more than anything and everything we can think of, have, possess, observe, touch, taste, everything. Everyone say preeminent. That's Jesus Christ. And I go into the second chapter, verse 1. And I might read a different version, and that's okay. It's a scripture, but praise God. I think I'm going to read... Yeah, um, that's, that's New Living Translation. Beautiful, man. You're with me. Praise God. I want you to know how much I have agonized. And another word for that is the conflict that P Paul is feeling. He's basically saying, I'm fighting for you in prayer intercession, spiritually. I want you to know that I'm fighting for you and for the church at Laodicea. And for many other believers who have never met me personally, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. That's an amazing verse. Because when you look at the original, what it's saying is that I want you to be knit together. I want you to be healed together. I want you to grow and walk together. I want you to share same things together. Like a broken leg or an arm, a bone, be knit and healed in a cast together. Healing, knitting together, pushed together by the same circumstances and sharing. That's love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand, I love these, this, this wording, God's mysterious plan, comma, which is Christ himself. Everyone say mystery. Many people say that the Bible is like this mystery. And, and you can now say, yeah. And the mystery is Jesus Christ. Everyone say Jesus Christ. That's the mystery. And some people just don't understand the mystery. And listen to verse 3. I love this verse. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I don't know about you, but I want to be a man that has wisdom. I don't know about you, but I want to be a human being with knowledge to guide my life, connected with wisdom and knowledge, to guide my wife and me together, or my wife and I, mom, I'm speaking good English now, and my, my family and, and me, mom, that's for you, and my girls, but also a man with knowledge and wisdom in my workplace because like Brother Steve talked about the chaos in this world, there's chaos in my workplace with my boss and other people. But when you're a man or a woman, a young person with wisdom and knowledge, man, you shine, you smell good amongst people that are, can I say it, spoiled. I'm serious about this. And so Paul is a profound man. Paul is like next to Jesus. Everyone say, all in him. Thank you. I'm going to go to verse 4. I'm telling you, this is Paul speaking. This, I'm telling you this, so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Now, I want you to remember this. In this chapter alone, one of the doctrines or two doctrines that Paul is trying to speak into the lives of this wonderful church in Colossae, into the wonderful church, the Holy Spirit is speaking into the wonderful church of North Coast Fellowship. That the doctrine, the teaching is of oneness and baptism. 
I look over here in this section, I see two people that I love dearly, that I've seen them since they were born, and they need baptism in their life. I say that with my heart. Because I've heard three people this week say that the Lord's return is just around the corner. This world is crazy. This world is mixed up. There's a lot of noise that we're hearing. But Jesus Christ's return is soon. Come on, man. I'm serious. This country, our country, is so divided right in the middle that scripture says that a house divided cannot stand. What will you do when this country goes to pieces? Jesus Christ is the answer. Let me continue, man, before I get all turned on here right now. Oneness in baptism is the teaching in this chapter. Five, for though I am far away from you. Where is he? Rome. Under house arrest. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should. That's a very profound statement. And I rejoice that you are living as you should. North Coast Fellowship, the Holy Spirit wants to speak and say, ah, there's rejoicing because we are living as we should. And that your faith in Christ is strong. All the weaklings say amen. All the strong say amen. We have Christ. This is not a trick question, okay? Verse 6. I told you I'm going to read nine verses. This is bold for me. This is, this, is, this is very powerful right here. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, come on, come on, make a joyful noise if you have accepted Christ Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What's that song we were singing? So the, the line right before uh, 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 chains broken or um, uh, strongholds broken, what's the right line right before it? I don't know, but it's a strongholds are broken. What's the line right before? What's the, maybe you guys know. Though your blind eyes are open, when we accepted Christ Jesus, he opened our blind eyes. Can someone say amen? And when we accepted Christ Jesus, strongholds are broken. So I'm going to go back to scripture and say, and now, just as you accepted Christ as the Lord, you must continue to follow him. Look at verse 7. This is very powerful. Let your roots, let your roots, talking to the church, grow down into him. So the question is, where are your roots right now? If it's not on the solid rock, maybe it's on the shifting sand, and you better be very careful when the storms come. I love that. This is amazing language. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth. You were taught. Maybe we're not so strong in the truth because we are not rooted and grounded and built on him. Maybe we're tossed to and fro. Maybe we're really messing up. Maybe we're still messing around with sin. Maybe we really don't believe it all. That's why Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is speaking to a church today. Man, I don't want to use colorful language because we're really messing up. 
Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong like that wonderful tree that I see fruit in my backyard. Those roots are set good. I water it every other day. In the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thanks, thankfulness. What a great verse for thanksgiving. Verse 8, don't let anyone capture you. I'm thinking of my brother Acosta. I'm thinking of those that have given their life to serve our country. This is a battle term. Spoils of battle. battle. When they would wipe out the enemy, they would go get the gold and the spoils, the good things, the gold, the silver. That's what this is. Don't let anyone capture you. Do not let anyone carry you off as a captive. Don't let anyone carry you off as a captive. With empty philosophies, I'm thinking of the college and universities that I attended, and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, I'm just thinking that the prince of the world is in charge right now. God has allowed the enemy to be in charge of this world, and that's why we need to be thankful for the Holy Spirit, which covers us and protects us. Come on, someone, thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit. And it says, don't let anyone do this and all that, rather than from Christ. And verse 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. That is a wonderful verse. If you have a Bible open, underline it. If you have your electronic device, turn it off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Highlight it. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Christ is preeminent. Christ is first and above everything. Can someone shout, amen? Amen. amen. This is the oneness of God all summarized in one verse. The oneness and the powerfulness of God in one verse. Everyone say, all in him. Say it again, all in him, talking about Jesus Christ. Now, this is a glass of lemonade. I want you to listen real carefully. I'm going to switch my hands here because I'm left-handed. No, that's just kidding. I'm right-handed. <laughs> I love lemonade. I really do. And I love pink lemonade and just lemonade. It was like all the time for dinner when we were growing up, right? Lemonade. You know that frozen concentrate and you just add three cans of water? That was it, baby. It was good. And we, we did the same thing with the girls. Did the same thing. Now, I want you to listen to this illustration. Because it's a little tricky, but you, you're going to understand this. I, I, just watch this. Okay. Lemon and water. Lemon and water. Okay. The lemon is in the water, and the water is in the lemon. True? All right. Doing a little science here. Watch this. The lemon is greater than the water, yet they are still one drink. Because it doesn't, the lemon's stronger, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, has taste. The lemon is invisible, kind of. But he that has seen the water has seen the lemon. Watch this. The lemon without the water is fiery. The water is a mediator between the lemon and us. And check this out. Whoever accepts the water accepts the lemon. Yeah. 
Oh, taste and see that the lemonade is good. Come on now. <laughs> oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, it is good. Listen to the very next verse. Colossians 2.10. So you are also complete. You also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Come on, someone love the Lord. Are you in union with him? I love this. So let me just share something here. Complete in him. Complete in him. As I was growing up, I used to always say, man, if you do this, you know, I'll just serve you. I'll love you even more if you give me this and do that. As I was growing up, not yesterday, not last week, not a year ago. And so I want to say that, that, that through the Holy Spirit, we are complete. What that means is he's given us everything we need. Everything we need. But yet we are wanting more. Like there's something missing in our life. Because someone here is still saying, if I, I, I need this and, and I need that and I wish I had that. Oh, God, I, oh I, I could use that. Let me take you to 2 Peter verse 1, two verses, 3 and 4. By his divine power, God has given us what? Come on, say it again. Don't be afraid. Everything we need for living a godly life. Come on, someone say amen to that. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. I love, in this church, I talk about seven, seven gears. And I'm going to be speaking more of it maybe next year. But the seventh gear that I talk about the gear to make things work. Because we have a wonderful church when we have Friends Day. That's a great evangelism tool. We have a great gear. We have a super good gear of worship and praise. Don't you believe it? There's a lot of these gears. And the seventh gear is doing everything out of a spirit of excellence. And so that's why I say, don't bring any used sweaters. Bring them you. You see what I'm saying? So then everything we do to the Lord is through him because he is excellent. He's preeminent. So we also need to have a spirit of excellence. We give him glory. Verse 4, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. I'm telling you, brother was talking about it. The, the promise that I always remember, he says, I will be with you until the end of the earth. How many say amen to that? I know that he has promised to be my provider. How about you? He has promised to be my healer. He has promised to be with me. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. There are promises, but we, sometimes we don't know our promises and we want to throw in the towel and we just want to kind of like kick back and, oh, I'm not going to do this now. I, you know, I'm just going to kick it. And just, boom, heels in the sand, in the dirt. No, man. He's given us everything, no matter what. And I want to continue the verse. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. What? I can share his Holy Spirit, his divine nature, his love, his joy, his peace. I can share that? These are promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape. That's what I need right there. The escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. 
I don't know about you, but I would love more of his divine nature and less of the corrupt influences outside. Colossians 2.11 says like this, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised. I don't know if I ever preached circumcision, but that's an outward mark on the body of a, of a human male. Circumcision is cutting. And, and, and I never taught, and, and this is a very, very, um, this is a spiritual church. It's an intellectual church. This is great people out here, man. And so I don't think I've ever talked about circumcision like that. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Another version says, not by hands. No one cut you, male person, in the Old Testament. Uh Uh-uh. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. I'm going to be the first one to say, there is a sinful nature in me. There is a sinful nature in you. There's a sinful nature in us. But it says here that when we are in Christ and when we've accepted him, that he has cut that away from us. That's what we need to understand. Circumcision was the way to enter God's covenant, his promise in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, spiritual uh, circumcision made without hands is the way to enter God's promise in the New Testament. That's us. I want to just hang out there a little bit. Among all the covenants, among all the pacts, P-A-C-T-S, all the promises that God made, there is one redemptive one, like redemption, I bought you back. There is one covenant that is all-inclusive, all-complete, and that's called the Abrahamic covenant. That is the covenant that God made with Abraham when he started with his life and said, I want you to get out of where where your family lives. And I want you to go to a certain place. I'm going to show you to where to go. And then God continues and makes a promise that is very explicit. And it's also implicit. And it, it, it is like before and after all promises that God is ever going to make in the Bible. And we need to use that as a leverage. We need to use that as a reference point. What is this all about? And here's the deal. Its ultimate fulfillment is not found in Israel. The cutting with hands on a physical male's body, it's not that. That is not the ultimate fulfillment. It's not Israel, yet we pray for peace in Israel because they don't know who Jesus Christ is. How about how many know who Jesus Christ is today? Watch this now. So the ultimate fulfillment of this promise in Jesus of God, Jehovah, is not in Israel, but it's found in the body of Jesus Christ, his church. And his church should just love him right now. Because he performs surgery on us. He performs surgery on us. From the very moment God made his covenant, this covenant with Abraham, the world would forever be separated by two ethnic groups. When God made that promise with his people, and the world was never the same, those that are circumcised and those that are uncircumcised. Those that are Jews and those that are Gentiles. And the world has never been the same. And the mysterious thing is, is that people don't understand that Jesus Christ is the one that brings them back 
together. That's very powerful. Watch this. Acts 7-8 says, God also gave, just listen, God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at that time. So when Abraham became the father of Isaac, he circumcised him on the eighth day. And the practice was continued when Isaac became the father of Jacob. And when Jacob became the father of the 12 part patriarchs, they continued. And I want to take you to Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. And it says, don't forget that you Gentiles, that's us, used to be outsiders. No one likes to be outside. Peer pressure. I see it every day in the public school, man. Pressure. You used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision. We need to be careful of what we're proud of. We're not supposed to be proud of anything. We are not supposed to be acting and coming, much less into the house of God or even living in life with a, a spirit of arrogance or proudness. Or Look what I've got. Because scripture says if there's anything to boast about, it's Jesus Christ. Could you just boast right now in Jesus Christ? That's it. I love that. So I want to continue with Ephesians. Uncircumcised Ephesians, we used to call that, and you know, they used to call the Jews, used to call the Gentiles, you dogs. It was bad. Who were proud of their circumcision. Even though, watch this, this is an amazing word. Even though it affected only their bodies, and not their hearts. We need to be careful. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. We were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises. Sometimes we don't even know the promises of God today that God had made to them. You lived in this world, brothers and sisters, speaking to the church today, the Holy Spirit through this uh, word, the church of Ephesus, you lived in this world without God and without hope. You see, I have been blessed that my grandparents served Jesus Christ. I have been blessed that my parents served Jesus Christ. But I remember much how my father banked on this scripture because there was a time in his life that he lived without Christ and without hope. Lived far away from God. And he used to bank on this and say, that's how I used to live. And only after the physical act of circumcision did a covenant relationship exist with God. So therefore, these words are true. No circumcision, no promise from God. No circumcision, no covenant. And I want to say that it's important that we note that, that the covenant of circumcision was only an outward physical thing in your flesh, but it initiated a spiritual covenant, a spiritual promise, an everlasting covenant, says the word. If this covenant is indeed everlasting, if this covenant that the scripture says it will be everlasting, then it must exist today. How many believe that it exists today? In Genesis 17, 13, it says, my covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant, but those people died. So how does that covenant continue today? What is New Testament circumcision? New Testament circumcision is baptism in Jesus Christ. Come on, man. That's the operation. That's the surgery. That's the procedure. 
It's not of hands, but it's of Jesus Christ spiritually. Ladies and gentlemen, Galatians 3, 26 and 20. I love the word. How many here love the word of God? Man, I could speak on that and not be afraid. But if I start speaking on my own terms, then I better watch out. Galatians 3.26 starts like this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Now watch this. Here's the mystery that people don't get. And you can't get this mystery if you don't get baptized in Jesus' name. Watch this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Everyone say faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with who? Oh, church, don't be afraid to say the name. Christ. Watch this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Wait a minute. But the circumcision and that covenant that God made with Abraham said, there's Jews and there's Greeks. Circumcised. No, no, no. But now in Christ Jesus that are baptized. This is profound. There's no Jew. There's no Gentile. There's no slave. There's no one, there's no free, nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I love that. North Coast Fellowship, take a good look around. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Come on, man, right here. You got to say amen to that. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Wow. Do you know the promises? Man, he'll be your provider. He will be with you. Baptism in Jesus' name is New Testament circumcision. I've never preached this before. And some of us have not gone under surgery. Sitting here today, we're not of Christ's unless we accept him. I believe the word totally. I believe it totally. If you don't accept him, then there's circumcision and uncircumcision. But in Christ, there's no circumcision, no uncircumcision. We're all one in him. It's very powerful. And I'm not saying this to, to be mean or anything. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, circumcision means both physical, it can mean physical, and it can mean spiritual. The spiritual seal of the new birth. And those of us that are here today, I really, I am thinking and praying for you that have not accepted Jesus Christ through baptism. It's crucial to make the distinction that while the apostles preached and while they taught, they said, this circumcision of the body of Abraham is temporal. It is doing away with. It's going away. And they thought of something more spiritual. A spiritual circumcision was an absolute necessity. They said it was absolutely necessary for salvation. I want to repeat that. Baptism is absolutely necessary for salvation. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When we look at Mark 16, 15, 16 says, and he said unto them, go ye into the world. I like this version and preach the gospel to every creature. And then it says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It's very clear. But he that believeth not shall be condemned. Another version is damned. It's a bad word. Luke 24, 47 is, I have an asterisk in my Bible. 
I have it highlighted because this verse blows me away. We're in Luke. Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The church is Acts, the history of the apostles of the Holy Spirit. But in Luke, it says this, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. I'd like to repeat that because there's going to two phrases I'm going to use right now and I'm going to close up pretty soon. And that repentance, everyone say repentance and remission of sins, say remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. All right. So let me see if I can make sense here. Luke is a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's a doctor. He's very detail-oriented. He's studied. He's learned. And he uses in this verse repentance and remission of sins. Repentance and remission of sins. Repentance. We turn our back on sin. We will be forgiven of sins. The same author writes Acts. The same author. And he comes to Acts 2.38. And he preaches. Peter's preaching. And, and Luke is taking notes. And he writes this. And, he, and the Holy Spirit says, Peter replied. So Luke is saying, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to your God and be baptized. Well, the same author just said, repentance and remission of sins. And now he's writing because it's synonymous. It's the same. It's equivalent. Repentance and baptism. Because baptism will bring you the forgiveness of sins. The only way. And I love how he uses both these words. When you, and then in Colossians 2.13 says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What an amazing passage. Everyone say triumph. In those days, when they wrote that, because I'm thinking of the Ark of Triumph. There's an Ark of Triumph, famous in Paris. You can go visit that. It's huge. And then there's also the, the Ark of Titus in Rome, in the Roman Forum. There you, by the Colosseum, by where all those wonderful architectural antiquities are. And there's still an arch there. So when the generals, like Titus, or an emperor, or whatever, when they, would have, when, they would, when they would go and have victory in their battles, they'd bring all those, cap, all those that were captured. They would bring, bring, dragging or whatever, half dead, whatever, the generals and the soldiers, and they'd be parading them behind, right? The general would come in first, probably on his nice white horse, 
all his officers behind him. And then behind that would be all the captives, all the prisoners of war. And the people would just be, they would be, they would like be going crazy because there was victory. That's the word triumph. That's the word triumph here. Triumph is only used twice in the New Testament. This is one, and we'll share another one. But the interesting thing is, you know, the little boys that of, of the sons of the officers and the general, they wouldn't go to battle because they were too young. But when their papas would return in victory, the little boys, because of their bloodline, they'd join in right behind the general and with the officers. The little boys, they were already teaching them, right? And they'd be parading, they'd be like jumping, they would be like screaming, they would be like, it was like a triumph, it was a victory. And all the carnage, I can imagine some of them just barely making it, barely half alive. And the smell of blood, guts, gory, death would enter behind this wonderful fanfare. People could smell that. People could smell death and war there. There's only one other time that triumph is used in the New Testament. It's in 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says like this, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Come on, man. Do you get what's happening? Jesus is the one, is our general. We're his slaves out of love. He's captured us out of his love. And we parade behind him because we can, because we're his children. And he uses us in the good way that we live and that we share his knowledge and wisdom and the spirit, that aroma is affecting everybody where we live, work, and play, and learn. Would you stand to your feet? I would love for you to come to this altar. Because we all have in Christ this covenant, this pact, this promise. We all have it. And so I want to say, don't be resting on the law. Don't rest on the old. Rest today on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We don't have to be, uh, ladies and gentlemen, mm, the law on the outside. Uh, we don't have to have that on the outside. What we need is life on the inside, our hearts and our minds. I'm asking you to come to this altar. And I was thinking of one thing. There is triumph in Jesus Christ because he's nailed our indebtedness to him. He's nailed our, indebt our sin, our wrongdoing, our, what we owe him. He nailed it on the cross, his body. So I'm thinking right now, so that there can be triumph in your life, would you come and remember the debt that he paid for you right now? The sin that you committed yesterday. The sin that's still bogging your mind and heart. That doesn't let you lift your hands and doesn't let you just commit your all to him. 
Would you bring that and write it on a piece of paper in your heart and mind and nail it to the cross today so that you can be set free, so that you also can fall in line behind Christ, leading us as captives. But triumph is lifting your voice loud. Triumph is a fanatical kind of crazy, wonderful praise and worship. I don't know about you, but I lift my hands here because I've surrendered all. I didn't used to surrender all, but I have surrendered all. Could you come and surrender? recently, didn't you? That's a perfect song. Could you come and surrender all to be his captive and fall in line with this triumphal procession that he's leading today because there's someone that needs him, someone that needs to to follow him, to, to believe and accept him through baptism. The power of the Holy Ghost doesn't restrain us from the desires of the flesh. It actually retrains us by putting new desires in us because the old desires are not going to help us. In the mighty name of Jesus, let's surrender all today and let's be united with Him. Let's be in union with Him. Let's be one with Him. Christ Jesus, preeminent. All He is all, all for me today. I surrender all, all to Jesus. He's my blessed Savior. I surrender.